Hi, my name is Mark Ackeroid, Head of Advice Delivery, Strategy and Innovation for Lumion. And welcome to another episode of Lumion Live, the podcast for advice professionals that believe in a values-based advice experience, but still have that question, how does it all work? The Lumion Live podcast connects listeners with other advice professionals to hear best practice client stories or business examples and lifts the lid on how they made that happen. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by David Hanks, of Global Advisor Alpha. G'day, David. How are you? Mark, hi. Good to be here. Good to see you. Great to have you on board, mate. And uh, for those that don't know David, he's got quite a long and impressive resume. So I'll give you the, the highlights now. Uh, David was a past director of the FPA and has had a 28-year career as a founding member of Shadfort, so a quite well-known uh, financial planning firm here in Australia. Shadfort, at the time he departed, was over 100 advisors, $13 billion in FUM and $58 million EBIT. He's since established Global Advisor Alpha, a B2B consultancy with a passion for helping leading global advice businesses become world-class and achieve outstanding results for all stakeholders. And in his spare time, he even penned his own book, The Life First Advisor, How the New Financial Coach Connects Money with Meaning. Uh, David, that's quite an impressive resume, and we're really excited to have you on board to talk about values-based advice experiences today. Why don't we start with you telling me a little bit about how you've seen values-based advice shape over the last few years and why you believe it works? Yeah, well, I think there's been a natural progression, Mark, if you think about where financial advice came from, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, there were accountants, there were lawyers, there were insurance brokers, uh, there, there was really no financial advice industry, and it's evolved over that time, obviously, initially from a, uh, an investment perspective, and then that direct equity side moved into, uh, you know, in Australia, managed funds. Um, and that's really evolved over time now. If you look at in year 2000, 2% of money in the world was invested using some form of index fund or ETF. That's gone from 2% 20 years ago to closer to 50% today. So more and more people have got the data and the analytics saying, are we really adding value below the line? And so the advisors have had to evolve their propositions. And, and I think it's involved, evolved in many ways. I, I talk about this imaginary line moving from below the line to above the line, moving from the, you know, the product to the people or from the money to the meaning. And so as we sit here, not only today, but the last five, 10 years, I think the more advanced advisors have been moving not only down the goals-based path, but I think those that are really at the point of end have adopted a, a values-based approach and a goals-based approach. Uh, so I was lucky enough being a, a studier of global best practice, um, you know, spending a lot of money over the last 20 or 30 years in personal development. Um, I learned from a UK mentor in 1995 about this, uh, you know, goals-based advice opportunity and, and put that into practice. Uh, I spent some money in the US in, in the late 90s, early 2000s and learned about values-based advice. So putting, putting values-based advice and goals-based advice together into my proposition from 95 uh, with the goals-based advice, 2000 with values-based advice really propelled me to individual success. Um, you mentioned Shadforth. I mean, we had 120 advisors. Um, I very proudly but humbly brought on more new clients, more new assets, and more revenue than any of those 120 advisors five years in a row. And the reason was because I was delivering what the consumer wants, uh, and that is values-based and goals-based advice, above-the-line advice. So 
I think the 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 advisors at the you know that the pointy end get that and they've started to uh, move their proposition down that path. But obviously, there's a lot that haven't, and I'd be really encouraging them to have a good look at that. Yeah, and what made you make the the switch? Um, you know, you, you mentioned obviously global best practice, but you've still, as an advisor, got to make the mental call to go. You know what? I'm all in on, on something like this. What was the driver for you? Well, I think that the driver for me was common sense. Uh, you know, if you're giving somebody uh, investment advice around direct shares or, or managed funds, uh, of course everybody would rather get a 10% return than an 8% return. But do they need a 10% return? Could they be taking less risk? You know, you've got to get the investment piece in the context of the values and the goals. Uh, you know, this is not a dress rehearsal for another life. Uh, it's the only one we've got. And, and so... It just made such perfect common sense to me that there was more to money and, and we needed to have that, that meaning around it. So I, I think common sense. And then when I started to have those conversations with real people um, and the ultimate question you can ask as an advisor is why? Uh, you know, if, you, if you're a financial advisor and you, you're sitting next to someone on a plane um, and they say, G'day, Mark, nice to meet you. What do you do? Let, let's say you say I'm a financial advisor. The next question they're going to ask you is, uh, what stock should I be buying? Is the market overheated? Or what do you think of crypto? I mean, most, most people think that financial advisors only offer below-the-line solutions. But the better advisors are obviously offering so much more than that. And, and so if, if I was that person next to you on the plane and I said, well, well, Mark, um, you know, if you ask me, David, what do you do? And, 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 and then I, and you started asking me about crypto and market timing, et cetera. If my response to you was, well, sure, I can help you with all of that, Mark, but, but before I do, what is it you're trying to achieve and why are you trying to achieve that? And it moves that whole conversation from below the line to above the line, and it's incredibly powerful. And, uh, you know, one of the learnings uh, for me, uh, you know, 20-odd years ago was, was this notion of the, the family CFO and the non-CFO spouse, uh, you know, what psychologists would talk about uh, left brain and right brain. And, and, and financial advisors for years have been targeting um, prospects and clients with, with left brain below the line offerings about money, dollars, cents, uh, you know, alpha, outperformance, et cetera, et cetera. And if you, if you then start to throw in the question why and you start to have the values-based conversation and the goals-based conversation, you know, if it's a couple, the non-CFO spouse, which more than often is the female who is completely unengaged in the old co-traditional financial advice model, who wouldn't turn up to meetings in year two, year three, year four, year five, because it's boring as all hell, <laughs> is completely, completely engaged in the process. And when you start to run that lifelong cash flow modelling model on the big screen in your boardroom, it's the non-CFO spouse that's up out of the chair, pointing at the screen, change this, change that, and moving 180 degrees from being completely unengaged and disinterested to totally engaged in the process. So common sense, um, a, a hypothesis that this was going to work, uh, training from mentors uh, and putting it into practice, and it worked. And, and, and I guess... What I'd share with you, Mark, would be, um, well, I guess a couple of success stories, if I may. Yeah, I mean, first, Firstly, on an individual le level with, uh, uh, let's call them Peter and Julie, and their names happen to be Peter and Julie. But, <laughs> you know, we, we, we developed an agenda. Uh, you know, we're talking about scalable advice businesses. And, and so I believe that there's no point 
in anybody having um, original thought in a routine situation. So I learned to develop a hard copy agenda for discovery meetings. And, and the pecking order of that hard copy agenda was, you know, broadly, number one, values, number two, goals, and number three, all of the financial hygiene. So we're not leading with how much money have you got in super and what's your house worth. We're leading with what's important about money to you and your values. We're then getting on to your goals and your aspirations. And so I'm in a prospect meeting with, with, let's call them Peter and Julie. Peter and Julie are running a super successful Melbourne-based business. They're a mid-30s couple, uh, you know, $4 million a year EBIT in in this business. And I asked the question, What's important about money to you? And that that number one question in the first two, three, four, five minutes of the discovery meeting. And there was crickets, absolute silence. And I I said, look, there's no hurry. There's no right or wrong answer. Take your time. Uh, But again, I understand you might not have been asked this question before, but I'm really interested to know what's important about money to you. And after another pause, um, and Peter he didn't exactly start crying, but he, but he started to well up. I mean, here's a 35-year-old guy making four million bucks a year. And, you know, we're probably two or three minutes into the question, lots of pauses, lots of silence, take your time. And he said, David, I raised my kids on a dairy farm in Gippsland, uh, riding motorbikes, chasing cows, kicking the footies. And I've just realised that here I am in the big smoke making all this money and I've got two young kids and I had the world's best upbringing and I would love to bring my kids up the same way I was raised. Well, you know, fast forward five years later, he gave me a call and said, David, thanks for that conversation we had five years ago. I've sold the business, I've cashed in, I've bought a farm and we're taking the kids down there. So, that, you know, there's the power of that values-based conversation. I'm not, not, not asking them what your goals and your aspirations are. I'm saying what's important about money to you. And, and it can have a profound impact on people's lives. And so when we started to, to teach that at Shadforth, I'll... I'll, I'll uh, I'll let you fire another question at me. But when, when, we, when we started to develop that uh, structure at Shadbrook, we got some pretty profound outcomes, which I'll, I'll share with you shortly. That's brilliant. Maybe one question on the Peter and Julie scenario. And, and sometimes we hear this from, from the advisors we work with um, because it can be a little bit awkward, is that there's a common perception maybe in the industry or, or, or maybe it could be Australian perception that the more money I have, the less likely I am to dig into the soft and fuzzy and, and get into the emotion because, you know, I wouldn't have all that money if I, if I wanted to talk about goals and values. I just need you to, to invest it. You know, that's what I'm here for. As an advisor, you clearly took a different approach. In your experience, does having that amount of money change that conversation or, or it seemed like you were, you were still getting into in inverted commas, uh, for those that are listening on the audio, you won't see me doing the rabbit ears, but you know that they don't want to get into the soft and fuzzy or, or is it just you've got to get in there and hold space? Well, I suspect there's an assumption that the more money people have, the happier they are. Uh, I can tell you a, a real story from uh, someone I know uh, incredibly well who, who has a, a family uh, worth of one and a half million dollars. And uh, they have some, some family challenges that they worked through and they brought in a, uh, a very well-known Australian uh, uh, coach to help them through some of those issues. And um, the question was asked of the coach, um, 
uh, do, do you get many other families with you know net worths above a billion, two billion, five billion uh, that have issues and are unhappy? And he said uh, his response was incredibly profound. He said, "You go and grab for me the BRW uh, top two hundred wealthy families in the country." And I'll show you the 200 unhappiest families in the country. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a real life example where um, a person who, who, who coaches and mentors some of the richest families in Australia is saying that more than often they've got some of the biggest issues and aren't particularly happy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've just got to get in there and, and ask that ask that question, you know, what's important to you? And, and as you've experienced and explained, it's it's often not a question they get asked, and and um, and I think advisors have to play that role, right? Yeah, and 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 you know, for me, whether it's advisors changing changing anything, whether it's their pricing models, their value proposition, their investment philosophy, ninety nine point nine times out of a hundred, it's the advisor that's got the issue. It's the advisor that's the bottleneck, not the client. So uh, in this particular case, for for the advisors listening in uh, that are. Del- delivering, uh, you know, respectfully, an old co uh, value proposition below the line. I'm saying, you know, open your minds, give it some thought, uh, take some coaching from, you know, people like yourself and others. And uh, uh, I can assure you there's uh, uh, significant evidence that it works. And let's talk about some of that evidence, because obviously at Shadforts, you played the role of an advisor, but you were you know, an interested business owner as well. So you had to play as many of our advisors do the the business owner hat and the advisor hat. From a business owner perspective, you, you were alluding to the fact you've got some good examples and some reflections on how implementing values-based advice um, worked for you as a business. And can you share some of some of that as well and, and what your reflections were? So, uh, you know, from an individual success perspective, it was only down to me being a student of global best practice advice and putting my hand in my pocket, jumping on planes, getting mentors, doing programs. And so I, I put what I learned into practice for uh, you know significant outcomes for me personally as an advisor. And and so you know having bought in you know significant clients, significant revenue, significant assets in those first five years as an advisor at Shadforth, what I witnessed as, as a frustrated business owner, um, and I wasn't the only owner, but one of the owners, was that of 120 advisors, the average conversion rate of those 120 advisors was 25%, one in four. So for every four new prospects that came in at Shadforth in that first five years, only one went ahead with advice. Now, there's no perfect ratio, but I would have thought somewhere in the order of 70 to 90% would be around about the conversion rate you should be shooting for. So Shadforth's hitting 25%. And, and so you can start to unpack, well, why is that? Um, oh, and clearly it's got to be because we're not offering and delivering a value proposition that they're looking for. Um, and, and my experience was it was a below the line, uh, you know, product-based, investment-based uh, proposition. And so having put my hand in my pocket and, and go on looking for global best practice and had some individual successes using that structure. The logical thing as a co-business owner was to say, hey, you know, one in four, 25% is disastrous. Why don't we put some structure in place? And so the structure and the coaching was 
changing the CVP from below the line to above the line, getting some structure around what the meetings look like, what the objectives are of each of those meetings, uh, what the agendas are, uh, you know, actually having a formal hard copy agenda, uh, what questions to ask and in what order. I mentioned a bit earlier to start with values first, play your trump card first, values. Your second card is, is your goals and aspirations and all of that uh, you know, financial hygiene uh, that we would typically lead with in an old co-experience comes third after values and goals. And so it put, in putting that in place with the Shad4, and it's not a, it's not a one day, two day, it, it's, it's, it's a, a training program that takes some time. But having walked the advisors around Australia through that program, in 12 months, we we're able to take the conversions from 25% to 67%. And the number of new clients, uh, the average number of new clients the advisors brought on doubled, uh, on double the revenue and double the thumb. So, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't life changing, but but to move from a low ratio to to getting more towards where we where, where any firm needs to be was really just around uh, common sense, new CVP structure, and. You know, what, what, you know, it's fine if you're a one or two person show in running a small practice or a small business, but when you're running 20 offices and 120 advisors, you've got to have some system and process around that. Um, and you don't want any of your team to be having uh, original thought in a routine situation. So at scale, you've got to have, uh, you know, global best practice process. And, and that's not to say that whatever process we had in place in 2011 should be in place in 2021. You've got to evolve with what global best practice looks like, but th there can only be one best way of doing things. And so let's go and seek out what that looks like and let's do it. And, and so the evidence from that best practice approach was that significant shift from uh, one in four to 67% outcome. So amazing outcomes and probably one of um, my final questions is a lot of our practices now are growing exponentially, you know, they're, they're either growing organically or, or inorganically through acquisition and therefore getting more and more advisors on and starting to reach that point where they're realizing to get scale, they've got to get consistent processes. And as you alluded to, I mean, you did it at 120 advisor scale. It's hard work. It's, it's really hard work. What are your reflections on that change management process or, or how you, you know, achieved that scale of the experience um, when you were at Shadforce that you might want to share there? Is there anything you might do differently or, or, or you think about still? Well, I think so. Firstly, go looking for what that global best practice is. Um, you know, there's a difference between being uh, leading edge and bleeding edge. You want to be uh, where the market is or just in front of where the market is from a value proposition uh, and not, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 years in front of, of, of where uh, the industry is. So certainly developing uh, an above the line philosophy, uh, values and goals based advice. Um, to do that at scale today, 2020, 20, 2022 and beyond, you really need some tech to be supporting that. Uh, so we, we had tech in the sense of what I would call lifelong cash flow modelling, which was that modelling tool to enable you to look at the trade-offs. Uh, you know, more of one thing means less of something else. So, you know, using a, a Sydney example, uh, let's say I could afford to retire at at you know, 77 years of age and buy a house in Double Bay, or maybe I might want to retire at 58 and buy a house in country New South Wales. There's no right or wrong answer, but you need a tool to be able to model it out. So 
the technology around the modelling of that. Um, but I think, you know, I've been looking for a long time to find technology around the values-based piece. You know, the values-based piece that I learnt, that I taught at Shadforth was, you know, sure, the question was on the agenda, but it was a verbal question and there was no tech that we could really capture the responses and the answers that if an advisor retired or, or left the firm, we could pass on what was important about money to that client, to the next advisor. And so tech would be the logical response where everything that we've just discussed today, Mark, around you know, values-based advice and goals-based advice and the hygiene can all be captured on a tech stack to enable some serious scalability. And that's why um, I went out looking for global best practice. That's why I found Lumiant. That's why I, I'm an ambassador for what Lumiant's doing because I'm incredibly passionate about changing the world of advice uh, one advisor at a time. Uh, you know, this is not something that is nuanced just to Australia. Uh, Australia just happens to be, uh, in my opinion, having, having worked in 20 different markets over the last seven years, uh, perhaps we're not the leading market in the world, but we are right up there as far as value proposition, but we've got to take the next step. And the next step is going to require a tech stack to enable the values and the goals-based advice in conjunction with all of the other financial advice we deliver uh, to be able to do that at scale. So I certainly believe that the average advice practice uh, is going to become a business, uh, whether it's through organic or inorganic growth, I'm seeing a lot more M&A starting to take place. And so really getting that system and process at scale is going to require the right tech stack. Yeah, couldn't agree more, obviously, uh, from a Lumion perspective. David, fantastic um, uh, conversation today. One question I always finish on before we wrap up the, the podcast today, I ask all our guests is if, if I'm an advisor out there on the fence, considering implementing a values-based or above the line, as you put it, experience for my clients and my business, what's one tip you would give me uh, about doing that? Uh, well, I think the tip would be, you know, talk to people like yourself, myself, uh, you know, the Lumion team, uh, other business coaches that can help you to adopt that uh, above the line approach. But my tip would be give it a go. Uh, you know, don't, don't think about it. Give it a go. When, when I first learnt about goals-based advice in 95, I gave it a go and I had a tool to be able to show my clients and it worked. When I learned about values-based advice, I gave it a go. And so give it a go. Don't be nervous. Don't be anxious. You're genuinely trying to help your clients. And I'm sure that you know, perhaps some people will reflect on this conversation uh, in five years' time or, or 25 years' time and say, thank you, Mark, for having this, uh, this podcast. Yeah, no, I, I hope so too, David. You know, we, we've covered so much today and thank you for your time. You know, discussing things like go out and search for, for global best practice, talking about above the line uh, solutions, not just below the line uh, financial solutions. What's asking things like what's important about money to you and, and holding that space, um, getting the right structure and processes and supporting tech so that you can play your trump card, which is discussing the values around money. David, th this knowledge and best practice is invaluable, I'm sure, for our audience. And I just want to say thank you for your time. Well, good on you, Mark. Nice to see you. And I hope the, uh, the listeners get some great takeaways. More importantly, I hope they do something with the takeaways. Agree. Thanks, David. All right, Mark. Thanks. Thanks, mate. Bye.